Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, a blessed Women's History Month to you. Oh, blessed be. How are you celebrating? I am celebrating by doing this podcast with gusto. Ooh, that's fun. Um, I'm celebrating by trying to not be annoyed that the president didn't say the word abortion yet again during the State of the Union. Yeah, I know, I know. I was gonna, I was overlooking that was gonna be part of my sanity corner. (laughs) Okay, well, you know what? There's a lot of show between now and then, so let's just (laughs) let that dissipate and come back to it. (laughs) This week, we're joined by historian Alexis Coe Kieran Deal, and Dana Schwartz to tackle the following questions. How can ordinary Americans help Ukraine? Who gets to write the history books, and why are they all white guys? Shouldn't Women's History Month be more interesting? And how is a reality TV wedding getting people talking about internalized racism? All this and more right now. Okay, the news this week a lot of heavy stuff going on. Um, let's start with Ukraine. So first of all, uh, Alyssa, you and I aren't there. We don't have nope. any any sort of exceptional insight to offer, but we do care uh, about what's going on. And we wanted to kind of relay some ways to be helpful to our yes. listeners. So here's what we know about the war in Ukraine right now. Vladimir Putin is a sadistic madman, which was known before, but he's really, really put a fine point on it. Yeah. It's like there was no doubt, but now we, okay, we get it. Uh, It's about as subtle as his fillers in his face. Um, (laughs) Ukraine's health ministry said on Wednesday morning that more than 2,000 civilians, including children, have been killed since the start of Russia's invasion on February 24th. Putin isn't targeting just military sites either. He's targeting schools. He's targeting hospitals, residential neighborhoods, NICU babies, critically ill patients that are being cared for by brave doctors in bomb shelters. Aaron, it is taking some people more than 50 hours to cross over the borders. And if people have not watched Aaron Burnett from CNN trying to cross the border with her crew, it is really a sight to behold. It's it's unbelievable. Um, what they go through to try to get to the border. Um, In just six days, nearly 836,000 people have fled Ukraine into Poland and other neighboring countries in the wake of the invasion, the UN says. The latest and still growing count had 350,000 people entering Poland, more than 90,000 in Hungary, and 36,000 in Moldova, 32,000 in Romania, and 30,000 in Slovakia. The rest were scattered in unidentified other countries. Hungarian, this is the part that gets me when you see 
like I, I am always – when you think of what Vladimir Putin's doing, it's hard to not think that humanity is trash. But then you see the Hungarian and Polish aid workers who are greeting refugees with signs welcoming them, showing them where they can find food supplies and medical support when they arrive. It's super inspiring to see that. And it also makes me imagine the possibility of a world where all refugees can be greeted that way. Totally. No matter where they're coming from. Um, Everybody who is fleeing a war should be greeted with open arms and food and supplies. And I'm glad that Ukrainians are being welcomed that way. But we feel helpless. I feel super helpless. And I'm, I'm sure that most people listening do too. So... We thought today we would just, you know, like I said, tell you how to help. And so we have compiled some wonderful organizations like the Ukrainian Congress Committee of America, World Central Kitchen, which is feeding refugees once they've crossed the border, United Help Ukraine, which is getting life-saving supplies to Ukraine's front lines, Revived Soldiers Ukraine, which helps the wounded and supplies provisions for hospital, Razem for Ukraine, which is offering tactical medical training and emergency response in Ukraine, and NOVA, N-O-V-A, Ukraine, which is getting humanitarian aid to Ukraine, and they need all the help that they can get. Yeah, so that's a lot, but we're going to put it in our show notes, and Alyssa and I will be putting it on our socials. So if you're interested in in helping, those are some ways to do it. You can also follow, there's some excellent on-the-ground coverage. Erin Burnett, for example, is doing great work over there, um, but there's some great reporters over there covering Ukraine. The Kiev Independent is wonderful and has some of the most accurate on-the-ground uh, reporting as well. Yeah, I just I just have to say, I have found what the Ukrainian people have done in response to being invaded by Russia to be incredible. Like, Incredible. Inspiring, heartbreaking. I just unbelievable to behold. And I just I mean, it's like any- it's like no, it's like all of them are participating in some way. I read last night that over 80,000 men had returned to their homeland of Ukraine to help fight. The grandmas that are just like, again, I think it was Clarissa Ward from CNN who was doing an interview with a grandmother. And she was like, you know, how are you helping? She's like, let me show you. And she takes her out to a shed where she has assembled hundreds of Molotov cocktails. So, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people have made the comparison that here the Ukrainians are doing everything they can to protect themselves, and we're still fighting about fucking masks here in America. So, yeah, it kind of puts things into perspective. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's it's been really cool to watch. Also, I, I have to say, there's an article. I normally don't like the New York Post, but I found this via the New York Post uh, about a Ukrainian employee on a Russian man's super yacht um, who sank the yacht. Sank the yacht. As an an act of patriotism, sank the yacht off the coast of Spain. Um, And he's like, yep, I did it, and I'd do it again. (laughs) Well, and he realized that the oligarch was was funding the arms and the helicopters that were were bombing the buildings. And so he just went, fuck that shit, and sank the yacht. Yeah, there's been damage to the engine room, so. Yes. (laughs) Good job. We read the same article. I'm proud of our news queries. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, there are these, these really incredible, like, stories like that of everyday ordinary Ukrainians. I just think sink more super yachts. That should be just a thing that people do in general. Um, Okay. So before we get to our less upsetting news, I wanted to single out a moment during uh, President Biden's State of the Union on Tuesday night. Mm. 
Okay, so you're going to be surprised by this. Um, you know, a lot of people criticized Colorado Rep Lauren Bobart for heckling during the State of the Union when mm-hmm. Biden was talking about his late son, who was a war veteran. Um, but I actually have a compliment for her. What yeah. could the compliment possibly be? Okay, so that gave me a chance to get a look at her outfit. And her outfit, she was she was kind of wrapped in a shiny black shawl. And she looked like a bag of trash. She was really just <gasps> being herself. Came as who she was. Yes, exactly. Continue to be Dumb yourself, asshole. Lauren Bobart. A bag of trash. Um, last night's State of the Union won't be the last time we have to hear about that woman. Um, mm-hmm. But it'll likely be the last time we won't be a 246-year-old country that has never had a black woman on its highest court. So that's exciting. That is exciting. Yeah, so buried in a lot of the other news that's been going on is something huge. Um, On Friday, President Biden announced his pick for the Supreme Court. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who would become our country's first black female Supreme Court justice, she goes by Judge Jackson, if, if you're, you're nasty. nasty. <laughs> I didn't even know you were going to do that. I can't help I didn't it. either. I, I want to do what? it every time. I should have guessed. I should have guessed. Um, she's <laughs> 51 years old. She is a product of Miami-Dade Public Schools. Her parents, two public school teachers. I got to say, uh, as the daughter of a public school teacher who is now a, a school principal, I, there's something different about the kids of public school teachers. And your mom worked in public schools. My too. mom's still there. Oh 27 years she's been there. Yeah, there's something different. We're made of something different. Are and we hardier? I feel like we're hardier or something. I don't know, but Judge Jackson is the creme de la creme of public school scion. Um, she also it would be the first Supreme Court justice who previously worked as a public defender. Um, yep. Another another thing that is close to my heart, my brother is a public defender. I love public defenders. They work so hard and they do such important and thankless work. And um, she also clerked for Justice Breyer. So she's sort of the the perfect heir to his seat on the court. She's perfect. She's perfect. What's your favorite thing about Judge Jackson? Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, I just, everything about her. You know what I think it is, is that she is just like herself. You know, she's not trying to be any, like, it's like, if we are going to have Judge Jackson, Justice Jackson, uh, on the court, she's just bringing her whole history. And I think that that is the best part, is that we are going to have an, a completely unique perspective on the court. And uh, I feel like it needs a little refresh, so nothing but good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is deeply experienced, deeply qualified. I haven't heard any talk that her confirmation is up in the air or that any Democrats would be wavering, especially since she was just confirmed to the D.C. Circuit a couple of years ago. Right. Um, actually, strict scrutiny, new crooked media joint, newly acquired yes, crooked media so joint. so exciting. Yeah, they have a conversation on her in their most recent episode that if our listeners are interested, they should definitely check that out because those women are experts in every sense of the word on the law in the Supreme Court. And they also have some pretty great observations about Judge Jackson and some hopes for her future. So um, timeline, I was hearing today that they're thinking about starting hearings soon. They're using the Amy Coney Barrett model of getting this shit fucking done. Let's Um, go. She's up on the Hill uh, as we tape right now, meeting with senators. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, she's meeting with senators. People expect that she'll probably get at least one or two Republicans to support because it's like, why the fuck not? You know, like Murkowski. Why the fuck what, not? What do you have to lose? You know, she's the only one with a brain left. And she also is like supported by Paul Ryan. <laughs> Well, right, exactly. Although he put out his like a, in a typical like Paul Ryan, he had little, to he had to be nuanced, wormy, wormy little twerp. Oh, well, we don't always agree on politics. It's like you no. don't need. We know you don't. We know you don't, Paul. You don't need to be like, oh, well, just shut up. I mean, just be proud of her. You know, you're related yeah, to her by marriage. Say good job, exactly. You're, you're related to her by marriage, Paul. By marriage and pure fucking luck because every one of us would be lucky to be married to her, to be, <laughs> to be related <laughs> that to her. too. <laughs> um, I also have heard in um, interviews with former clerks that she's a super hard worker, extremely empathetic and kind and a great leader. And all those are qualities that, that make me really excited to see her on the bench. I think that she's going to be great and I can't wait. And I guess she has no friends named Squee. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Hopefully, I, let's count how many times the word beer is screamed during her confirmation uh, process. So um, I also want to say quick before we take a break and get to our interview this week, um, there have been some, this is more bummer news, but there have been some really, 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 really times a million shitty anti-LGBTQ bills passed in a couple of our most populous states in recent weeks. Um, Florida passed a don't say gay bill, um, which would ban discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in primary school classrooms, which is crazy. I guess that means nobody gets to be a boy or a girl, right? That's my takeaway. I guess you think it's they've not, thought that one through. <laughs> they're turning Texas into a Scandinavian preschool with like <laughs> gender neutral everything and the word hen as like a gender neutral. Pro- Have you heard about that? No, but I love it. Yeah, in Scandinavia, there are gender-neutral preschools where it's like none of the kids are boys or girls. They just come and get to be little tiny children who play. And yeah, anyway, that good job, the geniuses who wrote the six-week abortion ban that allows anybody to just sue anybody. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this there is a, a dark side to this. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott also issued a directive confirming— um, that gender-affirming care for trans kids, including puberty blockers, hormone treatments, and surgical interventions should be treated as child abuse. And um, I have read that he's already been investigating families for providing gender-affirming care to their children. Can you even imagine? I, I can't, yeah. I can't imagine being in a family facing that sort of no abuse from the government and like right. overreach from the government. It's it's truly disgusting. But I can't imagine Greg Abbott being the most inept shithead possible because, as we've said many times on this show, the bitch can't, can't govern. govern. The bitch absolutely can't govern. Oh, by the way, did you see when Beta O'Rourke accepted the Democratic nomination for governor in the Texas primary? No. Um, I feel like maybe somebody on his campaign listens to the show because, like, the bitch can't govern is sort of a subtext in in him. Yeah. It's nice to know we're really making inroads. Yeah. We just need the word the bitch can't govern on a billboard in Texas somewhere. If there are any crazy millionaires listening, please, as a a late birthday gift to Alyssa and an early birthday gift to me. My birthday's not till July. It can be very early. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The bitch can't govern on a billboard in Texas. Please. 
please. Please. It's okay. For Women's History Month, for me, for us. For Women's History Month, do it for us. Um, If you want to hear more about the stories from Florida, um, you can check out What A Day's episode on Friday the 25th called Don't Say Gay Passes in Florida and Russia Advances in Ukraine. I actually guest hosted that episode and had a great interview with an activist in Florida named Brandon Wolf, who I think might be president one day. Just awesome. get, give the interview a listen. He's super inspiring and fired up, and he is definitely not quitting now. <laughs> Good. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got an interview with presidential historian Alexis Coe. Welcome back. Alyssa, what's the best title of a presidential biography that you have ever seen? Oh, this is very, very easy. This is very easy, Erin. It's You Never Forget Your First. A biography of George Washington? A brilliant. 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 Absolutely brilliant title. Absolutely brilliant author behind that book is here today. We are excited to have Alexis Coe joining us this week. She's a presidential historian and author of two books. Her first book, the award-winning, can I call it a queer true crime book? Yeah, sure. it's like a queer true yeah. crime book. Alice and Frida Forever, A Murder in Memphis. And her New York Times best-selling book, You Never Forget Your First, a biography of George Washington. And she's now working on her third book. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, can you share anything about your third and forthcoming book? Yes, it consumes my days. Um, I am writing a book on young Kennedy, who I feel like is as mythologized and as sort of far away as Washington felt to me at the beginning of that project. Um, it's really fun. It's very exciting. It's a little bit strange to be in the 20th century, but it's fun. Mm. Is it making you like him more or less? Both. Mm. Which is usually the case. Mm. Can't wait for that. We'll have to have you back when when that book comes out. Um, okay, so you're the first woman historian to write a biography of George Washington in over a hundred years, and the only woman in four decades. So why haven't more women written about presidential history? A part of it is that women were excluded from history departments for a really long time. Most historians had wives who had PhDs in history. And, you know, they'd be thanked for typing, but they weren't actually a part of it. And um, presidential biographies in particular is male-dominated in a way that other things aren't. Even military history is better. Um, and so it's a part of that. It's also part of this problem that when women and people of color, because also people of color don't write presidential biographies, that when they were allowed to be historians, they felt like they had to make up for lost time. And so there's a lot of resurrecting going on. Um, and they feel like, okay, well, you know, there are enough books on Washington, there are enough books on Kennedy, but the books are wrong. Mm -hmm. The existing books that are out are wrong. Most of them, or there's just room for other kinds of books. It's it's um, the most one-dimensional genre, I would say, of all of them. Hmm, interesting. So how have you experienced the world of presidential historical biographies as a boys club? Like, have there been any encounters that have left you feeling like, what is going on here? We're really at, like, square one here. <laughs> there was, um, when my book, I think six months or something before it came out, 
the male historians started, a certain group of them, more conservative, started um, tweeting about it. And one got in a really big fight with this curator at the Houghton Library at Harvard because the traditional Washington biographer said, you know, it's not a big deal that she's the first woman to write it because I don't think about gender when I read books on Washington. (laughs) (laughs) So so it was like, just we're just at the beginning of this conversation. And so other people were, they were like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, I would say there is a really supportive group within that. Um, and they definitely are, you know, louder and sort of dominate my days more. But it's also, it's a really petty, um, it's a petty profession, which I think is surprising to people. Hmm. Alexis, how has the male gaze contorted the way we view important historical figures, male figures like George Washington? And how has American history been affected by the male gaze? Well, I think it's significant that um, presidential history is written, you know, for men, by men, about men. And we've had, you know, practically no diversity there. Um, I think that heroicism is, um, is really closely connected to their conceptions of patriotism. And if they say that there's um, complexity to a person, they think it somehow um, means that we're not good and we're not exceptional. And that's really important because you don't see this in older countries. I mean, look at the crown. It's one of, you know, 50 things that come out every year about about the royal family. And we see, of course, tons about Churchill all the time. Um, It's just different. There's very little tolerance. And English um, biographers, if they do dare to come over here, they they always comment on it and they always get in some sort of trouble. Um, We have also been sold stories that aren't totally true. Obama should be in the same discussion about single mothers as Washington, but we never talk about Washington being raised by a single mother because he's got to be thwarted by a woman. And that's the other thing. Women are either just observers, they're domestic witnesses, or they are, um, you know, really just trying to get in someone's way. And it's a huge part of it. It's their first step in manhood, it seems like, telling your mother to F off. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. Seems like the first step is your mother carrying you for nine months, but whatever. (laughs) Um, So how has the lack of diversity in the historian profession affected how we perceive history? And what's the most important role a historian should assume? History is coded. And so you need people who can read codes. And if you don't, um, if, if they're not even interested in the language of the codes, then you won't really understand the contributions. You won't understand what happened. Um, it's it's less of history, and then it sort of becomes as dependable as oral history. They're just really opinions at that point, and you don't have a large enough sample size to you know differ. So I think it affects us quite a bit, and I think it's really unfortunate that we don't teach this sort of history in schools. I think that it would be really great um, for everyone. And I think that it would set up us to have better citizens and a better citizenship. Mm-hmm. Celebrating Women's History Month, while in the grand scheme of American history, is necessary and important. Do you ever think it trivializes and minimizes the important accomplishments women have made in history? 
And how do we recount Women's History without it feeling manufactured? Right, because it's Women's History Month, and then the other 11 months are Men's History Month. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's difficult. Um, it's, it's sort of like this problem with the women entering the departments where you do need some sort of attention paid to it. You do need to say, this is women's history. Like this is an important part because you're sort of re you're, you're inserting that into the narrative that's already around that people already are, are somewhat familiar with. Um, at the same time, there's, uh, this is one of my most frustrating months. Because I feel like unless there's something new about Amelia Earhart, I don't need to know anything more about her. And she doesn't need to be on the list of women you should celebrate during Women's History Month. Um, So I feel like it's become very quickly just uh, hollow. Mm -hmm. And that's disappointing. It's It's a sort of like wooden month. So I hope, I hope eventually it's, it's, it's treated more as like, a new year for women's history. That would be really great. Mm-hmm. We discussed the goals of the year. Hmm. I I like that because you're right. It sometimes feels like name a woman month. Right. You know, like what is the, what are some women you can name? Uh, Susan B. Anthony. Ah! <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it, it's sort of the same figures over and over again. And, and that's a really good point. Um, so who on that note, who are some cool misunderstood women in American history that you think more people should know about? Well, lately I've been thinking about Polly Murray, who um, she she was a part of so many transformational parts of our, our country, and yet she was sort of always unseen. Um, so she was the first woman at Howard, and she bet her professor $10 that um, within the next 25 years, separate but equal would um, be eradicated, that that would no longer be on the books. And her professor said, absolutely no way. 10 years later, he joins Thurgood Marshall on Brown versus Board of Education and fishes out her paper, which she wrote on this concept, which she, she, she had suggested that it wasn't about focusing on the equality part. It wasn't that each school had to be equal, schools for Black children and schools for white children. It was the separate part, that they couldn't be separate. And of course, he uses that. He brings this, this you know, paper from law school. He uses it and um, it's successful. That happens again with Ruth Bader Ginsburg with equal rights. Um, she used a ton of Murray's points in front of the Supreme Court and the list just goes on and on. She, she, you know, co-founds the National Organization of Women with Betty Friedan. She's just, she's always there. Oh, and she was arrested for not giving up her seat to a white person 20 years before Rosa Parks. It just like, it just goes on and on and on. And then there's really interesting things because as it turns out, um, there have been two great biographies, one called Jane Crow. And so there's sort of, we know more about her, but she identified um, as a man. She really wanted to be a man. She was only attracted to women. She had two significant relationships. So I feel like her story is just, it gets more and more interesting, which seems impossible. Hmm. Um, what are the two, one book is called Jane Crow. Yes, Jane Crow. And then I think there's another one. I don't remember the name of it. We'll put them in show notes. That that sounds super fascinating. Why do you think, yeah. why do you think she has been... So I guess undersung and under the radar. 
because she wasn't on, you know, the briefs. Her name is not on Brown versus Board of Education. Um, there wasn't, you know, a mention during the press interviews after of Polly Murray and how essential her, you know, law school paper was to it. So I think a part of it is that she fell under the radar. Um, and, you know, no one has gotten less credit in this country than Black women. Hmm. That's so fascinating. Um, Alexis Co. we wish we could keep talking to you all day, but you've got to get back to writing, I suppose. <laughs> yes, I suppose. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us and uh, take care. Thank you. Before we take a break, here at Hysteria, we believe Women's History Month should acknowledge the complicated, the messy, the countercultural, the revolutionary, the boat rockers, the overlooked, but it often doesn't. And so in that spirit, we bring you this first episode of a month-long set of minis on women you should know that we're calling Madam Hysteria. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I or, love that for Viore. Is that, you know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. <laughs> it is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. <laughs> five the, stars. No comment. 100% great. That's the type that's my favorite sport. The new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are cuz you know like not everybody's the same. You know, so mm -hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I size up a little bit, but then it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just, just pull that drawstring exactly. and I don't show, I don't show any crack when I bend over. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Yes won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud. Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And welcome back to Hysteria, the podcast where one host is currently swallowing a Valium. 
We do what we have to do to get by these days, Erin. We do what we have to do to get by. Um, there's a lot of crazy news in the world right now. There's a lot of stressful images on TV. Um, and then there are things happening back home that are less stressful but are bringing to the surface some very serious issues that a lot of people face in their personal lives. So we're going to take a break from the heavy Ukraine, State of the Union, Women's History Month, end of abortion as we know it stuff, and get into a reality TV show that brought a glimmer of happiness and hope to a lot of people in recent weeks. Okay. Uh, But before we get into it, I want to introduce the other two wonderful ladies who you know and love who are joining us today. First off, she'll be at the San Francisco Punchline next week, March 9th through 12th, and the Philly Punchline, March 18th through 20th. There's a whole Punchline national apparatus. National apparatus of Punchlines, Erin. Yes. It's an international conspiracy theory. Yes. Kieran Deal. How many other Punchlines are there that, that, that we don't know about, Kieran? Hundreds. (laughs) Hundreds. There could be a punchline in my backyard and I might not even know. I might be playing there soon. (laughs) One day I'm going to go outside and Karen's going to be doing uh, type five. Yeah. You're you're like, please, please. My baby's here. Please. She's trying to take. (laughs) (laughs) She is. She is laughing at just about everything. So I'm sure she'll find you hilarious. Great. I get along with babies who like me. So <laughs> I get along with babies who like me. Make a t-shirt of that, Karen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think I could see you wearing that and I could see that being very successful merch for you. <laughs> um and uh up next, her New York Times best-selling book, Six Weeks Running, and Reese's official young adult book club pick, Anatomy, a Love Story, is available wherever you get your books, and it might be available even in the front of the store, thanks to Alyssa Mastromonaco going door-to-door to bookstores, making sure they get in the window. Dana Schwartz, welcome back. Thank you so much, and genuinely, thank you to my head of marketing, Alyssa Mastromonaco. <laughs> Listen, I'm here for it. <laughs> Did you get on the brown table? I, I have to hope so. I'm not in the alumni magazine, which is every month I check in case like no one told me like they, they, you know, I'm in there, but like, you know, I didn't find out. Not yet. One day I'm going to go visit Brown and I'm going to make a fuss. You should make a fuss. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I think I've been trying to like run away from the University of Notre Dame, my alma mater. Um, and I don't, I think they've lost track of me. I think I lost them because I haven't been getting any phone calls. I haven't been getting any, would you like to give us more money emails? Um, I don't like to read the riot act to those like innocent work study people who are charged with giving alumni a call and being like, give us more money, please. Um, Because they're not the ones that are behind all of it. But uh, I think I did it. I don't get the alumni magazine anymore. I don't even know if I've been in there. I think I did it. I will just, for you should just imagine that you've been on the cover every month since. (laughs) And it just says this bitch underneath. (laughs) Um, Well, Dana, I'm seriously, I'm so proud of you. Six weeks on the New York Times bestselling list. And number one again. Yeah, we hit number one again. We we dipped and came back. We're like the My Big Fat Greek Wedding of uh, <laughs> young adult novels. Oh, man. Well, this is going to be, you're, you're going to become a, a short-lived sitcom at that rate. I can't wait. I hope. And a sequel that goes direct to video. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, whatever is getting Jonathan Corbett work at this point. Um, okay, I want to talk about Love is Blind this week on the show. 
specifically some of the issues that were raised by the wedding episode of Love is Blind. So everybody here watched it, right? Or is familiar with what happened, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I don't watch Love is Blind, but I I hate not being part of the zeitgeist, so I filled myself in. <laughs> There's so much of it, right? It's like yeah. one of those shows that they I when I started putting it on, I was like, every episode is an hour? I love oh. it. I watched the whole thing in a weekend. Oh my god. Did you just have it on just constantly? Yeah. Oh, I gosh. <laughs> I mean, look, it's like, you guys know. <laughs> She's like, I've got I jam love- to make, Erin. Of you, course. Like, yeah, that's exactly what I did. There's no better way to cut fruit than watching Love is Blind on the big TV. And, I mean, it's the best. I like, you know, 90 Day Fiance and Married at First yeah. Sight. This one puts all of those to shame. It's so much better. I watched season one of Love is Blind. I watched it cover to cover. It was the it was deep pandemic. I called it the height. The deep, deep, deep pandemic. And so – um, and then this one, I filled myself in on it. I did see several articles on like a couple of like South Asian magazines about like internalized racism and stuff like that. And I was like, well, this sounds like a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it was a mess that cleaned itself up, up very nicely. Um, so the couple in particular that I'm talking about are two South Asians who met in the pods, uh, uh, Deep Tea and Shake. Shake isn't really, it's not his full name. That's the nickname that it seems to have given himself. Yes. Um, But Shake was a sort of immediate pig in the pods before you can see each other, um, you know, before this phase of the show where you're able to see the person that you're dating. He was like asking the people he was talking to questions that were clear attempts to discern if they were fat or not. Like he was, you know, like he was asking questions like, if we were at a music festival, could I like lift you up on my shoulders? Like obvious, like it was like, dude, you're not slick. Like we, I can see what you're doing. I'm not even there. Like that's so, ugh. So he was asking all these and talking about how, um, you know, he had always dated blonde white ladies and, um, and yeah. And then he got matched with this woman named Deep Tea who was another South Asian woman, and they kind of had a, I would say, a personality spark. They got along really well. They were able to have um, long, interesting conversations. Deep Tea was a South Asian woman who had only dated white men before, and they eventually chose each other and got engaged sight unseen. And then when they did see each other for the first time, um, it you know came to light that Shake didn't find her like sufficiently attractive. Like that was this, um, this is ongoing thing throughout the rest of the episodes where Shake would be hanging out with her and talk about what an amazing woman she was. And then off camera or to other people talk about how he just didn't have that animalistic connection to her. He just didn't feel the attraction. He He loved that word animalistic. Like gross. Like, you want people to act like they're in a porn with you. That's acting, dude. And the implication, I think, had something to do with the fact that Deep D had, in recent years, lost, like, 70 pounds. And, you know, she had the body of a person who had lost a lot of weight. She was happy in her body as as is, but she had, like, extra skin, apparently. Uh, And that was something that he had talked shit about behind the scenes. And Anyway, every episode leading up to this wedding episode, which was sort of like watching the Titanic head toward an iceberg, because Deep D is lovely. Like lovely. They get married. Top, listen, listen to what happens. Wait. Top to bottom, 
top to bottom, lovely woman. She is smart. She is warm. She is funny. She is fun. People, you can tell that people just love to be around her. Um, and she is gorgeous. She is, there's no, I don't understand how anybody could not find this woman gorgeous. Um, so you see in these like off camera things, like shake being like, well, you know, she's the most incredible person I've ever met. So I'm just going to grow into, you know, the other stuff doesn't matter as much. That's what's missing. Blah, 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 blah. He even talks shit about deep D to his own mother. Yes. To his own mother. And it was like, and, and he was the word animalistic around his own mother. It's like, ugh. and you could tell that his dad kind of was like, oh, this fucking guy again. How is he ours? <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. So, um, you know, it comes to wedding day. Deep T is decked out. So gorgeous. The most gorgeous bride. The most beautiful bride. Just like beju- like Indian wedding garb. Just beautiful. Gorgeous. Beads. Like her, her she's like, she just looks incredible. And Sheikh is dressed up in a kind of traditional Indian wedding outfit as well. And it's just very beautiful. There's flower petals. And anyway, get up to the altar. And Deep D is like, nope. I ah! choose myself. I can't marry you. And she walks away. You never put me first. You never put me first. It was so good. Yeah. And she walked away. And afterwards, there's a scene of her mother giving her a hug and saying, I'm so proud of you, my brave girl. And I, oh, made me tear up. Like moms telling their daughters that they're brave is like my new tear extraction tool. Um, but yeah, everyone was super proud of Deep Tea. And for choosing herself over a person who sort of denigrates her behind her back. What was Sheikh's reaction in this moment? Oh, oh, can I? Can <laughs> yes. I? Yes. Okay. Sheikh went from 100% about to say yes, 100% about to say I do. Obvious. Obvious. To the minute she's like, I choose me. You never put me first. Also, can I just say, that her spending all morning getting as fucking decked out as humanly possible to give him the finger was also awesome. Incredible. When it's over, he goes and he's like, well, I got reservations at Nobu. So <laughs> ah! he was saying how it, w- it worked out better. Thank God she went first because he wouldn't have had to hurt her. Like he was such trash like Lauren Boebert. He just should have wrapped himself in a trashy in black shawl because oh, he was trash. Bag. He's absolute trash and he's really getting it on social media. Like there's so many people that have just kind of rallied around Deep D and people are so proud of her and uh, her, <laughs> the she had um, some relatives posted the following to um, Instagram. I'm just going to read from her brother, Sonny and his partner, Hina, um, wrote this on Instagram. We wish you didn't pick that clown emoji, but despite his childishness, you carried yourself with grace and continued to see the good in people. We're so damn proud to call you our baby sister and know we're there for you always. Thank you to everyone for their incredible support. We really appreciate all the kind messages and we don't take it for granted. We've read way too many tweets and scrolled through way too many Reddit threads and Deepu is lucky to have such massive support system. We're very thankful. And then they ended it by saying, Shake, bruh, you're a loser. So. Loser. 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 Uh, Kieran, I wonder what you make of this whole display. I'm still processing. I, I, I <laughs> want to get, I want to get, um, Alyssa, can you, do you remember like 
Did they get like the exact reaction? They must have had cameras trained on him. I don't know what the edit was, but like. So they yeah. had the cameras trained on him. So first of all, they're looking at her and she goes like, you think she might say yes, right? Like you're not right, right, sure right. what's going to happen. And she's just like, she doesn't just say no. She's like, fucking hell no is her facial expression. And he, eyes get a little bloodshot. Definitely discomfort facially in what's happening. And she walks out. She just fucking bounces in her outfit. And he's like, well, it's a party. Let's have a good time. And he's just so physically uncomfortable that the broness, he just, he just, he is a bro, but he just takes the bro armor and just puts it on hardcore. And it's like, let's dance and celebrate. Yeah, yeah. He's doing the like, I'm not mad. I'm actually laughing. I'm laughing. I'm like, actually happy. It's actually mad. funny. It's actually funny to me. Um, yeah, it was like clearly masking hurt because he thought he thought that she was lucky to have him. And in reality, it was the other way around. Is he the type? I mean, like, he looks like a, he's like a handsome guy, but I don't know his like personality. Is he like a, the type of guy who's like not used to getting rejected? Um, I that don't is know. unclear. I think he's been mightily rejected. Though the one thing that really had me hopeful <laughs> is that he was a veterinarian starting his own practice. You know how I love animals, Aww. and I was like, oh, this is a good person. Not necessarily. Yeah, bad people no. shouldn't be veterinarians. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Now I have to be like. Go into my vets and be like, who have you dated? How did it end? <laughs> <laughs> what is your wife like? Do you love her? I have I have one more question. Um, how did Sheikh's mother, I know that you said the dad was Ooh. rolling his eyes, but how did Sheikh's mother react to what happened? And when, when he was talking shit about Deepthi, how did she react to that? Well, the reason I'm asking is because it's like, I think it. this isn't necessarily true in every family, but like, like in a lot of families in and I don't want to generalize but there is a thing sometimes when you know the son historically was like the one that you want to have a son do you know what I mean so it's like when you have a son you coddle the son because the son would be the one who would take care of the family right so it's like yeah we had a son you know like was the traditional thing like that was like for my mom you know it was like they were really the people celebrate when you have a boy, but not necessarily when you have a girl because you've got to give her away. That's not true today necessarily. It's not true all the time, but that's why I'm asking. I'm asking how the mom was reacting to her son kind of, you know, because it's like, I'm curious how that guy grew up, you know? So here's an interesting fact. He's an only child. Right. right okay. Right. Only child. Hurtful. And I'm an only did... child. What are you trying to say, Alyssa? Uh, I'm saying, Kieran, that when your parents had you, they were like, we have perfection. Why would we risk it twice? When his <laughs> when his parents when his parents had him, they were like, this is Ooh, a dodgy. That's enough. <laughs> this is dodgy. What have we done? Let's not let's not incubate Stop. further. You know, heard, 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 heard. But I think his mother, his mother was mostly just quietly kind of hearing him out. But I can tell you this: I don't remember at any point his parents reacting to. Deep D leaving him at the altar. Like, mm. I don't think they ever went to them because I'm sure he brought shame on them with the way that he responded to it because it was so cold and so uncool. Yeah. Dana, what did you make of that choice? Like that moment? I mean, I think it's amazing. I think that like culturally, when a woman is 
I mean, Deep Tea is gorgeous. Like I'm like looking at photos and I'm like, she's a conventionally attractive, beautiful woman. Um, but I think like culturally when the guy is not necessarily attracted to the woman and he's like, I love your personality. You're so funny or smart. Like we've been, women have been culturally groomed to just be grateful for that and to be grateful for like a guy who likes you just because you're funny and smart. And I say this as a girl who has been told, like, you're so funny. And you're like, <laughs> okay, well, great. Um, and I think it's really wonderful and really empowering for a woman on a national stage, an international stage, to be able to say, no, I deserve all of it. A guy just settling for me because I have a good personality is not something that I should just be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's like interesting that the breakout moments of season two were Deep D leaving Shake at the altar and uh, Natalie leaving Shane at the altar. Um, both picking themselves, mm. both picking themselves. And I was thinking about, you know, Natalie was way too good for Shane, like obviously way too good for Shane in a way that I think Deep Tea was too good for Shake. Um, and I, I, I think watching those two moments and seeing the social media reaction to both of those moments, I feel like a lot of women, a lot of women who date men have found themselves in situations where they were settling for somebody who was obviously not good for them or mm-hmm. who was obviously not good enough for them. Like not good enough for them because of personal choices to be not good enough for them and personal expectations that women will settle. And watching people refuse to settle, I think like really, I just felt felt really great. I think that's that maybe is why it was so exciting. Like watching people just refuse. Kieran, I'm curious what you saw of the, you know, you're talking about reading um, some like South Asian news sites. What did you see the response as? Yeah, yeah. So like I would say on social, it was like there was a girl, you know, it was like I follow a lot of like South Asian influencers and whatever. And one girl was like, girl, deep the sis, you are too good for him. Like it was, I mean, <laughs> you are too good. Leave him, leave his ass. How dare, and then she said all the things. She said all the things where I was like, I'm trying to hedge a little bit because like, I don't want to throw, you know, I know some of the cultural, like some of the cultural things about like boys being coddled. She's like, these South Asian men who think that they're the fucking shit, you blah, blah, you know, and she's like going into a whole thing. It was hilarious. She was hilarious. She was really on a tear, loved her. And then there's an article um there's this um there's this site called the juggernaut which will like kind of find like south oh, asian sure. news yeah and and they were talking about like um internalized racism like what do hmm. we find beautiful and like the, you know this idea that you couldn't be attracted to somebody because they quote unquote remind you of your aunt you know or the fact that like she was like oh i've only dated like blonde white women and like that is like the gold standard of like you know you, i know Ryan, you've talked a little bit about like, oh, like I'm a brunette and it always feels like the counter, the counterpoint to like, to that kind of like blonde thing. But like, it's interesting, like about that as an ideal, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And is that something that in growing up in a culture, like how have you internalized that you're supposed to look like that or your nose is supposed to be a certain way or your stomach is supposed to be a certain way, you know, like, um, and can that be an internalized form of racism does, you know, that you you then embody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what that article was about, which is, you know, an interesting point because we're all a product of 
of our of our culture. She is very pretty. Um, mm -hmm. It's also I, I do want to point out though that this is reality television is the other piece mm -hmm. of this, right? So it's like it is built to to like when I it's like I know the cameras are going to be trained on him like in that moment. It's like these people have met like six weeks ago in pods. There's cameras everywhere. There also there's like producers who are like they're being like you know feeding them to like go deeper on each thing, and that doesn't take away from like like a truth like a moment of truth but like that is being kind of exploited by this medium too is the other piece of it right um for mm -hmm. fun and that's interesting you know there's no part of me that's like oh that's not i watched the first season i was into it do you know what i mean like and i and it's mm -hmm. there were some real moments of like like it felt like they hit some real like genuine connections and especially when they were in the pods which i, th I remember thinking was like fascinating because it's like mm -hmm. it, in those pods especially it feels like people forget there's cameras on them because they're being taped for so long and that's probably right. where you get the best footage right um mm -hmm. but yeah i um i think that's really i think that's really a shame i look it's like it's even like meeting somebody brown is like like I don't live in New York or whatever you know what I mean like it's I grew up in South Florida there weren't that many like other brown folks right so it's like it's sad that like to it makes me sad that it's like the brown love didn't work out you know or that he was like too much of a little bitch to like <laughs> let it happen like and I like that she made a choice that worked for her in that moment mm -hmm. do you think that there was pressure facing her as a brown woman to accept this nice, nice-ish, like, nice person. Yeah, nice enough, brown, like, person of her same culture. So, like, do you think there was a, an additional bravery from Deep T to reject him because of that pressure? There's kind of that thing where, like, you know, if you if she's never dated anyone Indian— I would, I would imagine if she's never dated anyone Indian, it's like, and this guy's Indian and he's cute and they had these great conversations. It's that thing where you would start to maybe make excuses for the person. You're like, well, right. they're figuring it out because you want it to work out. It's just, I think it would right. just be that thing where you want it to work out because, you know, it, like it's, this, this could be so great. What you see, you see, you see kind of like that like and i we've all done this you see that thing that you want to see and not the reality of what is and it sounds like what is so satisfying about this moment is before she said yes and went to the altar she was like oh no this isn't the thing and she kind of was able to like have this self possession to say um i'm not going to i'm not going to go through with it well mm -hmm. and i think too for her not just for her, but in all of these examples, and if we have ever done it in our own lives, I think that when you get to the point where you really choose yourself, where you're like in a situation that could go forward, and you're like, you know what? This is going to end bad for me. It really changes your outlook for the rest of your life, I think, mm. right? Like yeah. once you've identified that what am I doing? This was, this is, I would, I am better off alone than being with this person who doesn't think I'm an A double plus. And so mm -hmm. I hope that that is, that is Deep T's future, you know, that it changes her forever. Well, sometimes it's not even about the person themselves being a shithead. It's about them just not being the right person right, for you. That's and it. you trying Correct. to convince yourself that, you know, this is, oh, they're, but they're so nice. Like, just because they're nice doesn't mean I owe them a lifetime commitment. You know, Correct. like I, I can walk away and it's, it's okay. And it, and it might suck. And that the really nice person might, you know, become red pilled as a result, which, 
you know, not my fault, but uh, it's just sort of, it's like, it's another way to choose yourself. I wanted to kind of transition as we wrap this conversation up to talk about like who gets to choose themselves and who Mm -hmm. doesn't because not everybody gets to. So uh, Dana, do you think yeah. choosing yourself as a person who owns a sweatshirt that says I'm a luxury yeah. is choosing <laughs> yourself uh, a luxury that is only available to people who are afforded a certain kind of privilege? And who are those people? I mean, I think in looking back historically, I mean, this is probably, you know, in recent decades is the first time that women in, you know, Western cultures are able to not have a partner just to support themselves financially. I mean, for a long stretch of history, women needed to, quote unquote, settle to find a husband to provide for them because there was no other avenue towards existing as a person in society. You either become a spinster if your parents or siblings can afford to keep you or you have a husband taking care of you. And so I think that is sort of a historically relatively recent phenomenon. I think that like Kieran mentioned, like, because this is reality TV, there's a certain, like, privilege that Deep T has, I think, where she recognizes that what she's doing has symbolic value. Where, like, her choice isn't just her choice. It's, like, she was probably fully aware that, like, she's getting up in front of a crowd in a white dress after all of America has watched this man talk behind her back about how he's not sexually attracted to her. And I think that that probably gave her power and a privilege that not necessarily everyone has. Right, right. Um, Kieran, what kind of person doesn't have the freedom to choose themselves? So Dana, I think you said it's like historically, right? And then it's like if you're tied up in a thing where like if you're in a relationship that's abusive or you don't have access to your own finances or even when it comes to the kids, it's like there's a certain amount of things that your baby needs from you, right? So it's like a baby just needs a certain amount of care. And it's like maybe you can't get that pedicure if you don't have the privilege of a partner who's helping you or, you know, a nanny or a mother or a father or a support community, like some sort of a support community to help take care of you. And then that being said, it's like, there's always like some way in which I think you can choose yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like there's you like everyone has choices and they just might not be the ones that you want to take, you know, but like I think how do you how do you find a way to choose kindness for yourself no matter what the situation mm-hmm. is? You know, that is always right. an option, you know, and whether that's mm-hmm. like the five minutes, you might not be able to leave that job that's terrible at this moment with a terrible boss, but like you can take the five minutes to yourself like outside on your lunch break and like still enjoy like the sunshine and the birds and like not let it get to you to the same extent. Like those are ways in which there's like all these like tiny choices that you can make uh, to choose yourself. You can always find a way to center yourself or meditate or exercise or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there Mm -hmm. are, you, you have like, you have choices that aren't necessarily related to money. And then infrastructurally, there are some things that might preclude you from being able to like have the privilege of the way you might be able to quote unquote choose yourself if you had a lot of money or wealth. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. You know, I I don't want to get too much into this because we have to wrap up this part of the conversation, but in uh, one of the award season, you know, big contenders, the lost daughter is kind of about 
a woman choosing herself in a way that is very not socially acceptable. And um, so, you know, when is choosing yourself at the expense of somebody else? And like, when is that expense worth it, I think is also a question. Like, obviously, the deep tea situation was so satisfying because we got to watch a person who had the opportunity and the support to choose herself at the expense of a person who absolutely deserved to get thrown on his ass. Mm-hmm. You know, and like it was very cut and dry. The person who got hurt didn't get hurt in a way that felt like cruel. It felt kind of just deserved. It was a right. it was a pain it was a pain that he had earned. And um this was a victory that she had earned. But, you know, there's other people who are like I haven't chosen myself and it's like, well, you've got three kids. You know, what are you what are you going to do? about that. Or, you know, well, well, you have a, you know, you're getting into old age and your husband can't work and you're the only one making money. And if you leave him, he won't be able to, you know, so there are these, most choosing yourself questions are more complicated. Um, So I, I think, Kieran, your, your point about finding small ways to choose yourself are important because in the grand scheme of things, very few of us ever get a deep tea moment, you know? And that's why it's so satisfying to watch on television. Right. I mean, that makes yeah. it so tremendously satisfying, right? You got, because you did have this massive platform. And I love that this is like a nuanced story about like two South Asians on this like reality television show that's like, God hasn't existed before to my knowledge. Like that's still, that's cool, you know? That's cool to mm-hmm. know that that's, like that wasn't on TV when I was a kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, because the week has been so heavy, we have Sanity Corner. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. And welcome back to Hysteria. This week we're doing Sanity Corner instead of I Feel Petty because there are too many big things to feel petty. I don't have the space for it and we all need some sanity. So let's get to it. Alyssa, do you want to kick us off? I do. And I'd actually just like to clarify something from the top of the show. I was in fact taking a Valium, but it is because after this, I'm going to the dentist and I am someone who suffers extreme dental anxiety. I have a to-go kit packed. I have headphones. I have episodes of Veep downloaded that will be played at high volume. So I cannot hear what's going on in my mouth. So I just wanted to say that. Okay. I'm not just like taking Valiums in the middle of the day, but (laughs) I- How is that Valium? Is it kicked in? Honestly, you guys, I feel great. (laughs) Uh, It's a low dose. It's a micro dose. It's just enough so that I don't fucking panic and and my IBS kicks in when I sit in that chair. Um, So I have had to, over the past couple of weeks, remove Instagram and Twitter from my iPad and from my computer because 
I don't get any meaningful work done if I'm completely like just flipping back and forth. And also I have to read a lot and I get a lot of things on PDF. And it's like, if I'm sitting there trying to read it on my thing, so I mostly did it for work so I could read. But honestly, I haven't missed it. And the funny thing is, is that when I'm done, I don't run to go after, like the first couple of days I would run to go check it, like see what I missed. Um, you guys, I'm not missing a lot. I'm not missing a lot. I feel a lot freer. And, uh, at night I have been charging my phone, which does have, uh, Instagram and Twitter on it, on, in the kitchen away from me. So I'm really trying to limit my social media intake and it has been kind of blissful. Huh. That does sound lovely. It is. Just to take it, like, look, you're never, I always want to be able to check it, but on the things where I am trying to either read or do actual work, I have removed them and I am a better person for it. Hmm. I, I'm going to piggyback on this and jump right, right in and say, I have taken this one step further. I'm in like a very busy work period with my writing and my sanity corner is having a friend actively change all of my passwords so I cannot go on social media at all. And Whoa. how do you feel? Way better. I mean, sometimes yeah. like I, I open my phone and like click where Instagram used to be all the time and like open up a different app, just like I'm in the habit of it, which is very weird. Uh-huh. Um, I do the New York Times spelling bee every day. I read the New York Times all the time, like when I'm waiting and I'm like, well, you know, I would be on Twitter on my phone right now. I just like open the New York Times and read an article. And like learn about a place in the world I wouldn't have learned. And I'm reading a book a week. And maybe I'm going to go crazy and this is bad. But I mean, no. so far it doesn't feel like I'm missing. Like what is happening on social media that I. Well, so here's the thing. Here's why I really engaged in this fully. Because when Russia invaded Ukraine and I was clicking onto Instagram and like Kim Kardashian was selling like a contest or something surrounded by Fendi bags and other people were like posting their pictures in St. Bart's. I was like, you know what? Chasson son goût to each his own, as they say in French. But like, I could not, I can't, I just can't be mad and judging people for what they're doing. It's like, there was no good, there was no good outcome from it at this current state uh, in my life. Right. Well, I'm going to piggyback on that, Dana okay. and Alyssa. And say that, so, so I don't, I don't know. I don't really like to talk about my boobs too much on here, but, um, I'm breastfeeding my daughter, which means I spend a lot of time sitting around and not being able to do anything with both hands, uh, which means I spend a lot of time on TikTok, which, or, you know, like on, on my phone or whatever. Um, and I've spent like a few, I don't know, the last couple of years trying to curate my feeds in a way that is like as Kim Kardashian light as possible, yeah. like as Fendi bag light as possible, because that shit is, makes me want to make a sandwich out of a rich person like immediately. <laughs> um, and I mean like an edible sandwich, not like <laughs> hugging them, nothing sexual. I want to eat them. I want to physically ingest a wealthy person. Okay. Um, yellow jackets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Great show. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I have really gotten moments of sanity and levity on my TikTok this week from watching all of these uh, people celebrate the Ukrainian people. Totally. All of the recognition of like the bravery of everyday Ukrainians. Um, I found myself in, in Zelensky fandom TikTok, 
which is <laughs> really funny to see like American bros like talking about how they have a man crush on Volodymyr Zelensky, who is really a kind of, I don't know enough about Ukrainian politics to say, you know, that that his legacy and everything he's done as president has been like simple cut and dry good guy stuff. But the bravery he's displayed during the Russian invasion has been really incredible. And it's been cool to see all of these people discover all the ways in which Zelensky represents himself as a person who you would like to see more of in the world, like a family man telling people to put pictures of their families up in their offices instead of his picture yes, because he wants them that. to remember what they're fighting for. You know, he he's a, he's a guy who got vaccinated with a shirt off and looked great doing it, you know, he because he is a sort of a type of masculinity that we really could do better we could do well to have more of he's he just seems like the type of person that is a great figure to have on the world stage and it's so cool to see him being celebrated it's cool to see the bravery of ukrainians being celebrated it's cool to see everybody turn against the russian government and putin pretty much across the board it's 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 one of the the most cut and dry oh, shit, this is what we don't stand for moments that I have seen, I think, in recent memories. And it's really, it's nice to see people rallying behind the Ukrainian people. I really would like to see an end to the conflict like everybody. And I really would like to see an end to the bloodshed and death. Um, I don't think most Russian soldiers would go in there choosing to die. And I don't think Ukrainian civilians deserve to die. And I just wanted to end. But um, there have been moments of, feeling encouraged and happy by seeing how many people around the world are celebrating the Ukrainian people and supporting them. So that's my sanity corner this week, which leaves Kieran. Yeah. What is your sanity corner? Yeah. Well, how are you going to follow up with that one, Kieran? I know. Good one. Um, no, I was going to say the same thing. It's like that social media really being a double-edged sword because I understand getting off of it and having your sanity. But one of the other moments is this is the first time there's been a conflict where you've gotten to see so many personal moments. It's like that old woman, there was like the old Ukrainian woman who went up to the Russian sh soldier and she's like, put those sunflowers in your pocket so that something good can happen when you die. Do you know what I mean? Like these are oh, people God. who didn't choose. And then she like puts, and then she's like, you piece of shit. She's like, and he's like, ma'am, ma'am, like deescalate. And she was like, why are you on this land? But like that kind of, and then she's like, I curse you. From now on, I curse you. But this <gasps> sense of like this heavy, do you, you guys didn't see that? I I saw I saw like a a somebody cross stitched on it that said I I I saw something and I was like I don't understand this it was a cross stitch of sunflowers and on it it said put these in your pocket so something grows where you die yeah yeah and so I was like where did that come where from where it's basically like so, so put these some because that's the flower of Ukraine you know yeah. like uh -huh. the national flower so put these in your pocket so that something good can happen when you die at least something good can happen when you lay down is how it was translated anyway but like so many moments of you're not choosing i mean in terms of i don't think anyone is choosing to be a part of the conflict but one of the things that uh, like honestly has been in incredible to watch is this kind of like self-possession and resilience of everyday people in ukraine you know that ability to kind of like even that video of like when the Russian warships were like, hey, surrender. And the guy was like, hey, should I tell them to go fuck themselves? You know? Mm -hmm. And the other guy was like, yeah, just in case. And then he turns up the volume to be like, <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, Russian warship, go fuck yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like this kind of 
like an internal sense of like agency and this this real time ability to see those personal stories happening, which then connects you to this place that can otherwise feel far away and just mm-hmm. in a traditional right. media or news and really humanizes these people and their self possession, you know. Um, and those that's that's been really um, incredible to watch. I think for for me, and it, again, it doesn't make it any. It, like please end immediately right but there's mm-hmm. it's there's an there is an agency to that and people's individual choices within that that i've found really powerful i think just to piggyback mm-hmm. on what you were saying Erin. yeah and and it sort of has made me reflect on my relationship with my own country like this is ukrainians relationship with defending their mm-hmm. country and it's made me think what would happen if america were like physically invaded how many people would be as as brave as the ukrainians and i honestly think that i don't know i don't know i'm like what i feel like we're witnessing this like really unparalleled bravery in among a group of people and i don't know if people would stick around in los angeles or be like peace i'm going to utah and like get the fuck out um but it it's you know after after this is done i think we can all kind of have some long conversations with ourselves and each other about what patriotism is and what would make us more likely to defend our countries with such ardency. And when Zelensky was like, you know, America offered him a way out or whatever, and he was like, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. I need ammunition. I don't need a ride. Like that level, that that coming from a leader who has the option to leave, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And even when you think part of what has really made me very emotional is how many of the emotional and inspired is like how many of these older people who are making the Molotov cocktails, who are telling Russians to go fuck themselves, who are standing in the street singing the Ukrainian anthem, how many of them fucking survived World War II? Like, Mm -hmm. and thought that this would never, ever, could never happen again. And like, here we are. And, And once again, you know, the help that they're asking for specifically isn't really arriving and they are still finding a way to be resilient and positive. And that is, that is, uh, you know, that is special. Yeah. Well, hoping the conflict ends ASAP, hoping that this is, uh, obsolete by the time people hear it. I would love, I would love for that news to happen on a Wednesday. Please, for once, news happen on a Wednesday. Please, something good. Or, you know, also all those signs we've been seeing at the protests in Russia, Russian citizens protesting Putin. Yes. Who Which say- again, so brave. I know. So oh brave. Yeah. Beyond. The ones that say, go to the bunker already. Like, Ooh. you know. What is the penalty for, for if you protest in Russia? It's long, right? It's like a few. It's like whatever Vladimir Putin wants. Yeah, they've arrested like 6,000 yeah. people. It's, it's gross. Um, but I think that it's also a, it's a reflection of Vladimir Putin getting high on his own supply also, believing yeah. that he is the beloved leader that he tries to project himself to be. But he's really, he never was. He's not. He's he's weak. Um so, uh, okay, well, that's all the time we have on that on that note. Insulting Vladimir Putin, it's fine. I live very far away from Fuck him. that guy. Could... Yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck um, that guy. Dana and Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die, per usual. Thanks to Alexis Co. for joining us to talk about the first day of Women's History Month and why there are not enough female presidential historians. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation is a Janet. But these girls are fan it. Y2K email and scan it. Don't take no for an answer.
Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroot. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 